All right, as Brother George read, we are in Luke chapter 1, going to go 67 through 80, Lord willing. And like I said earlier, we've been going through this first chapter of Luke to prepare our hearts for Christmas. And so my prayer is that if you're around, you'll come tomorrow on Christmas Eve as we'll read the Christmas story together and sing some songs and pray. But hopefully, if you've been around, you've been set up to where you can on Christmas morning before diving into everything and all the fun and the presents and things of that nature. My prayer is that you will take time to reflect on what the point of Christmas is, who it is about. Maybe start off your time with prayer or reading the story of Christ's birth and lifting Him up and thanking God that He is the greatest gift ever. And thus, thank you for the other gifts that we receive. Because every time we receive a gift or give a gift, it should ultimately remind us of the goodness of God. So in today, my hope is that as we look at Zechariah's prophecy or song, this is actually a song, although I will not be singing it for you. I think I just saw an amen in the back. That's offensive. No. We're going to look through this together and ask the Spirit to show us what He has for us today and ultimately how this relates to peace. How many of you like peace? You guys get more points, more hands on this side. We long for peace. One of the, I think I said this last year, one of the questions that are asked all the time well you know what is the one thing the world needs if you could change one thing even in these like uh, pageants and things what's the one thing if you could have a lot of times the answer is what world peace we long for it and we know that something's not right with the world that we live in it's not how it's supposed to be and we know that scripture shows us why it's this way sin Sin enters the world, it spreads, and it brings death, sickness, pain, broken relationships. We just want peace. But thankfully, we have one who has come that's the Prince of Peace. So let's look at this text together today. Hopefully you have your Bible with you. If you don't and you need one, please tell me after the service, we will give you a Bible. There are pew Bibles in front of you, and I think Miss Susan will have it up here. So let's work through the text together, starting in 67. But just a real quick reminder of what just happened, the birth of John. This was the birth of John the Baptist, and Zechariah was not actually able to speak for a long time, if you'll remember. Probably couldn't hear as well. And then finally, once he wrote on the tablet that his name is John, All of a sudden, he could speak again, and he was blessing God. And then what's interesting is the one who couldn't speak goes into song. Not speaking to singing. Here's what Jesus does. He brings a people who have nothing to sing about to be a people who sing. A people who truly don't have anything really to be joyful about to be filled with joy. A people that have strife all around them to be able to have true peace, as Leanna read earlier, that surpasses all understanding. That's what Jesus does. 
67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. Once again, we see the theme as we've seen throughout the week so far, the Holy Spirit's involvement. I promise you, if you have not yet tasted of the Spirit of God, because you have not truly trusted in Christ, you're missing out. To be full of the Spirit, to actually have the Spirit of God inside of you, what ends up happening is as you walk in step with God's Spirit, you're filled with His Spirit, and there are things that just flow out of you. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy. Help me. I I forget sometimes. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Third one, love, joy, peace. You say, well, I don't have peace in my life. Either one, maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Or maybe if you do, you're not walking in step with Him enough that you're filled with the Spirit. So as you're filled with the Spirit, it just comes out. It's an overflow. So that way, well, how do I get, how do I become filled with the Spirit? How do I walk in step with God's Spirit? Well, you're doing part of it today. You're with God's people. You cry out to Him in prayer. Listen to Him, silent solitude, and you dive into His Word. And what he does is he transforms and he renews your mind. And as that's happening, you walk in step with him and love, joy, peace, patience will just flow out of you. And when it's not, that means you're working in the flesh. It's actually pretty simple, although very hard to, to do sometimes for us. So Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and true prophecy, prophesied, and true prophecy comes from God. If it's a true prophecy, it's going to come from God. That means it's going to be driven by the Holy Spirit. And he says, 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. A couple things stand out. Notice how Zechariah begins and he is blessing God. We need to continue to work on this as a people. We need to continue to, in our prayers, in our songs, make sure that we are blessing God just for who He is and also for what He does. Sometimes we go straight into prayers and it's, okay, God, thank you for today and I need this and I need this and I want this and I need this. Does God want to hear the things that we desire from Him? Absolutely, He wants to hear those things just like any parent wants to. But some of you are aware of those relationships where people only come to you when they want something from you. I have a, a family member that feels that way. Feel, oh, I just feel like when people come, they're just coming for stuff. As I talk with some older people sometimes, and as they get closer to the end of their lives, they feel like people are coming just to get their inheritance. They want to just have time with you. God wants time with us. We're His children. He's redeemed us. He's adopted us into His family. He wants the relationship. Yes, He's going to bless you. He knows what you need before you even ask. He wants to hear these things, but He also wants us just to be with Him. That's what eternal life is. Being with God and His Son forever. Knowing them and being with them. He's the Lord God, the Almighty One, the Holy One of Israel. This means, of course, yes, speaking Old Testament of the nation of Israel, but this also means all those who would have faith like Abraham. That's who true Israel is. How many of you have faith like Abraham? Oh, 
How many of you don't know how to answer that question? <laughs> how many of you are like, I'm not raising my hand no matter what question you ask, unless you're asking, is there food? Yes, I want food. No. <laughs> faith and trusting in God is faith like Abraham. Believing in him. Trusting in him. So if you're a Christian, then you have faith like Abraham. If you're not, then you don't yet. But today's a great day for that. Look at this, though. The second part of 68. He has visited and redeemed his people. God visits his people. The ultimate example of this, obviously, is Jesus coming and visiting his people. God becoming man to come and rescue his people. But what is redemption? What does it mean to be redeemed? Redeemed from what? Scripture tells us that we need to be redeemed because if you're redeemed, to be redeemed, that means you were a slave to something. And everybody, every human being that's ever existed have been in slavery to sin. Slavery to sin. Jesus was the only one who wasn't. Everyone else, we all have been slaves to sin. And the curse that comes with sin. The shame. The guilt. All that comes with sin. We are slaves to that before we're in Christ. But in Christ you become this new creation. And you're given the righteousness of Christ. And you are redeemed from the law. The curse of the law. Because Christ fulfilled it perfectly. When we should have, He did it for us. We have no righteousness of our own, so he says, here, take mine. I've got plenty. I've got enough for all of you. And then we say, take our sin. We've got plenty. And he says, I've got big shoulders. That's what I came for. I came to take your sin. Our God redeems us from sin the curse of sin, the shame, the guilt. He redeems His people. Look at the text. His people. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you are His people. In 1 Peter chapter 2, listen to the way Peter describes this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, listen to this, for his own possession. And that's why you exist, for God's possession. To worship him, to glorify him, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Go, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I don't know if I have meaning. Read that verse over and over again. You have meaning. The God of the universe has loved you. He's put you to be a part of the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. You were not a people before. But what's incredible is it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. In Christ we're all one and we're a people, a holy nation to God. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Go back over to Luke. 
That's what we have to be thinking about. All that I just said when we read, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. All that and more is packed into that. Don't just quickly read over things. Study it. Let it marinate. God, what are you saying? 69, and He has redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant, David. What's He saying here? Number one, He's reminding us with the last part of 69, His servant David. Now what He's doing is He's saying, the promises that I made to David, that there would be one who would come from Him, one who would sit on David's throne forever and ever, God's servant, He's saying, Jesus, the coming one, fulfills that. God is being faithful to His promises. He's being faithful to His promises. The first part of 69, He has raised up a horn of salvation. First few times I read through it, I was like, okay, great, horn of salvation. And then I thought, what does it mean, horn? I get salvation, we're being saved, but what's this idea of the horn of salvation? Think for a second, why in the world would we be talking about a horn? Horn is used in a couple different ways in the Old Testament. I think it actually has all of these ideas. Listen to some of the ways that it's used. In Daniel 7 and in Psalm 75, it seems to be talking about horn as power. Symbolism of horn shows power. Big horns on an animal? Powerful. Okay? In Joshua 6, they, if you'll remember, in Joshua there was a, a wall they were supposed to walk around. That'd be a strange command. Yeah, walk around. Blow horns. What did God give them when they were faithful to do that? He gave them victory. I think with the horn as well, we see the power of God. We see that there's victory. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah actually says her horn is lifted up asking for strength from the Lord. I think the horn also means strength. And then in Exodus 27, when it's talking about the altar where they would make sacrifices, there were horns that were on there that they would put blood on for salvation, for redemption. So now when we read, if again we're reading through quickly, it's just, oh, a horn of salvation, great. He has raised up this horn of salvation, this victory over everything. Satan, sin, death, this power that we have through Christ. Strength that we can have because Jesus is strong. And salvation for His people. That's what He's raising up when He raises Christ. All that for us. All that for you. Do you think as you consider these things that going back to the beginning of 68 where he starts off and says, blessed be the God, Lord our God. Doesn't it hopefully make you want to do the same thing? You want to bless the Lord for all that He does for you? Continue on. Verse 70, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. What he's doing there is he's saying, listen, all these things that are coming true right now are all prophecies from the Old Testament many, many years ago. It's actually the fulfillment of these prophecies that show us that God can be trusted. 
that we should be saved from our enemies. I want to hear from you. What is he talking about? When he says enemies, I want you to tell me what he what you think he's talking about. Let me hear when he says enemies from you. What does he mean? Powers of darkness. Good. What else? Prince of the air. Satan's power. Good. What else? What else? Who are our enemies? The world. Good. What's that? Sin. Flesh. Good. No, this is good. So, so we have the flesh. We have sin and all that comes with it. Maybe even death itself. Satan, the evil powers around us, these are our constant enemies. Constantly fighting against us. But what's great, look at the text. He spoke these things from the prophets of old, verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. It is in Christ, as He has brought Christ up, that you have dominion over Satan. He can't hurt you. He can't. Not any more than God might allow. Ultimately, the blood of Christ covers us. Your flesh, if you have the Holy Spirit of God, you don't have to give in to your flesh. You're not a slave to it anymore. You're a slave to Christ. Now, sometimes we still walk in the flesh, but it doesn't have to win. Even death, and I know some of you right now are dealing with this with family members, even death doesn't win. It doesn't win because of Jesus. Verse 72. So he does this, why? To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Which covenant? He goes on to talk more in 73. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Again, what he's saying here, he's already brought up David and the promises that were to David, the things that the prophets spoke of old, and now he's talking about the covenant that he made with Abraham, Genesis 12, Genesis 15. What he's ultimately saying is if you remember those things, you see that God is faithful. And it's in His mercy that He shows that faithfulness in Christ. And it's because of that that we're delivered from everything that's evil, that wants to hurt us and destroy us. When God makes an oath, when God swears, when God promises, He always delivers. You don't need to fear. You don't need to fear. What does He say? Verse 74, it's great the end of 74, that we might serve Him without what? Fear. Fear. You are free to serve God without any fear. What might happen to me? People might not like me. You don't need to worry about that. The Creator of the universe loves you. They might kill me. He'll raise you back. They might ruin my reputation. You are in Christ. You have His righteousness. They might take stuff away from me. You've been given heavenly blessings, all of them. What can they do? You should not have fear. And here's why it's important and why we're talking about peace. Because when you remove fear, guess what you have? 
You have peace. Oh, if we could all just have peace. Because what's hard is we, we forget these things and we need to be reminded of these things and we need to remind each other of these things. We might serve him without fear, going to 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Beloved, that is my prayer for our church, that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days. But what's the difference of holiness and righteousness? Like, why mention both? They kind of feel similar. Holiness and righteousness. Righteousness seems to be this standard of living that God expects of us. Again, we're given the righteousness of Christ. We're given the Holy Spirit so we can live this righteous life that's pleasing to God. Our spiritual act of worship. Our sacrifices to God. It's this standard that we can now live because Christ has already lived it. Holiness is the idea of being distinct from the world. They do overlap some, but to live a holy life means you're going to live separate from everything else, from what the world looks like. So you are free to not be scared, to not be fearful. You're, you're free to live a life that doesn't look like everybody else's. We're free to be a church that doesn't look like the world. And you're free to follow Christ and live a righteous life. You're not in slavery to your sin, to your flesh, to Satan, to death. You're not in slavery to any of that. Verse 76, and you, child, so now he switches. He's talking to his his boy, his little guy. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. We studied that when we were in John in the beginning in the Gospel of John, talking about John the Baptist or baptizer's role. What was he to do? It was clear. Come, prepare the way for the Lord. What's he to do as he prepares the Lord's way? Verse 77, to give knowledge, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Why? Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. I love the language, our God, His people. Don't forget those things. Why does He do all this? Because of His mercy. Whereby, verse 78, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. What is He saying there? That seems to come out of Isaiah 60. Part of this also out of Malachi 4, where it's prophecy saying the sunrise on high who will visit us is Christ. The sunrise, S-O-N maybe. Coming down to visit his people. Last couple verses. Why does part of why does the sunrise come down on us? Why does it why does he visit us on high? Look, to give light. Oh, this is this is encouraging. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Have you ever sat in total darkness? I mean, not even where like there's a little clock with a light on on the VCR, or any, or VCR uh, DVD player. <laughs> iPhone, I don't know, whatever. 
You know what I'm talking about, though, where there's even still a little bit of light? You ever been in, I'm talking darkness, where you can't even see your hand in front of your face? How about if you just, you know, where you, you were asleep, and you got moved, and all of a sudden you woke up, and it was just darkness, and you had no idea where you were or what was around you? Darkness can be extremely scary. What's incredible is everybody, apart from Christ, because they have not had the sunrise come down on them, they are living in total darkness. You were in total darkness. Some of you may still be in total darkness. He has come to take you out of that. Come to take you out of darkness. Those who sit in darkness. It's not like a passing through. It's this idea of you're actually sitting in it. And it's all around you. And you're not going anywhere on your own. And in the shadow of death. Does that language, shadow of death, bring up anything in your minds perhaps? To guide our feet into the way of peace. That's why He comes. Deliver you from the darkness. Get you out of the shadow of death so your feet can be heading towards peace. Ultimately heading towards Christ. He is our peace. Verse 80, and then it says, And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. This ends this section. Like I said before, tomorrow night we're going to read now the birth of Christ as we've been prepared for this. But as we end today, what I want to do is I actually want to read something together. If you heard, for some of you, it went to your mind immediately when you heard, and in the shadow of death, something may have came to your mind. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23. Turn to Psalm 23. I think we'll have it up there as well. Psalm 23. As you're turning there, have a pretty neat staff here. A friend of mine got this for me from Ireland. Mr. George picked this up. Got the horn on top here. Remember the horn of salvation. It's a shepherd's staff. You know what? Psalm 23 is about shepherd. See this, to a wolf or to anyone trying to attack the sheep, this is a weapon. But to the sheep, this is a comfort. Here's what I'd like to do. We have it up here in the ESV. I want us to read Psalm 23 together. You're all going to read with me. And what we're thinking about is the comfort that our God brings, the peace that comes through Psalm 23, through our Lord. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, 
they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Amen. He is your shepherd if you've trusted in him. I promise you, when you're truly with the shepherd, you, you don't want anything else. That, I, that picture, I mean, can you picture it? He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside still waters. And he restores your soul. Maybe you need some restoration in your soul. Go to the shepherd. He will lead you in paths of righteousness. Why? Just for your namesake. No. For His namesake. And there it was. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Can you imagine that? Walking through the valley. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You're never alone. Even with your enemies, you can sit down at a table. They can be all around. It doesn't matter. You can sit down and enjoy yourself. You can have peace. Your cup will overflow. Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the type of peace that I want you to have. If you don't have this peace, if you've never had this peace, today is the day to cry out to the Prince of Peace and say, please save me. I believe that you died on the cross in my place for my sins. I believe that you lived the life that I should have lived, but didn't. And after three days, you rose for my salvation. You pray that in a moment here, in your own words, and the Lord is merciful. He will save you. Those of you who have been with the shepherd for a while now, there's still times that come up that you just don't have peace. I know that. There's times that come up, I don't have peace. The more we look to our shepherd, the more that we're with him, the more that we stay close and he just moves us along and we trust him, you don't have to fear anything. He will give you peace and it will come as an overflow. Your cup will overflow because of the Holy Spirit. That's the way you respond. One of those two ways. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. And just like if we wanted to go to someone who had the corner market on anything, clams, candy. They were the only ones that were selling it or giving it away. We'd have to go to them. You're the only one that has true peace. You're the only one that can give true peace. It has to be through you. As you're the one who redeems us from the old life, from sin, Satan, death, guilt, shame. You defeat all those things on the cross, and with your resurrection. I pray that you would give us great peace.
Those who've never had it, I pray they would cry to you for peace today. Those of us who've had it, (laughs) but Lord, we sometimes get forgetful. Give my brothers and sisters peace today. Help them to open their hearts and actually, as Naya read, let the peace of Christ dwell in our hearts. We do so many things to try to block it. Help us to allow and let your peace rule by getting out of the way and trusting you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.